Dear listener and fellow story lover, this week's story is actually a Christmas story. Yet, here we are mid-year. During the Southern Hemisphere's winter, some people celebrate Christmas a second time, known as Christmas in July. So, in the spirit of this popular and fun ritual, I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. The Room of the Red Rug and the Child Who Came Written by Renee Mansfield Read by Selena Cadell By permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir After long deliberation, Mrs Alaric decided that the red pile rug beside the bed would be softer and warmer than the blue fluffy rug for the little bare feet of the blessed Christmas present when she, after waking, should bound out of bed on frosty mornings. Not that, in all probability, the little feet of the Christmas present had ever known such a luxury, Mrs Alarak mused, as she lifted a corner of the white bed to slip a corner of the red rug under it. They were no doubt accustomed to the chill of splintery scrubbed floors or the roughness of cocoa matting. Probably they had never been snuggled up close in a warm, tender palm, forlorn little feet. Mrs Alarak tucked in again the white bedspread, though it was as smooth as a snowdrift, and shook up the pillow. Then because of sadness that the winter winds were blowing over the little head that should have rested there, and because of gladness that soon another head would make its hollow in the pillow, and two arms reach up to encircle her neck, she knelt down beside the bed and cried. Mary! Oh, Mary! It was her husband's voice at the foot of the stairs. Almost time to start, dear. Ready? Yes, yes, Jim. In ten minutes. Before she left the room of the red rug and the little bed to bathe her eyes and put on her wraps, she glanced about it critically. Logs were piled up in the wide fireplace, all ready to be kindled into a cheery glow. Before it was a great armchair, snug cavern for the bedtime confidences to come. In glass-eyed solemnity... Against the opposite wall sat four dolls on four little blue enamel chairs. Tucked between the covers of a tiny bassinet reposed a chubby infant wrapped in sawdust slumber. In the bay window where the sun set a-gleaming the goldfish and the canary sleek plumage of yellow stood a tea table no bigger than a footstool set with plates like butter pats and cups like thimbles. Drawn up to it sociably was a grown-up chair and a very little chair. In the wardrobe, into which Mrs Alaric cast a last hurried look, was hung a diminutive fuzzy blue dressing gown, whose dangling cord met the ridiculous little slippers beneath the nightgown, and a couple of simple pretty dresses that would answer until others could be fitted. The nest was quite ready for the homing of the blessed Christmas present. Tomorrow there would be the sound of a bubbling voice in the house, the patter of busy feet, the shine of a curly gold head. Oh, the empty, aching arms of her, the yearning mother heart of her. Coming, Jim, coming, called Mrs. Alaric happily from her room. Her husband, although he noticed the evidence of tears, knowing the ways of women, made no remark, but slipped his hand into his wife's muff and gave her hand an understanding squeeze. Oh, Jim, I do hope you'll like her, said Mrs. Alaric fervently for the hundredth time that day as they started for the car. She is so pretty and so full of life, dances round like a little fairy all the time. She is even prettier, I think, 
than the one at the St. Agatha home, and she seemed to take to me more than the other. Do you know, I've thought, dear, she looks like ours might have if... Oh, I do hope you'll... Why, then? How could I help loving her, you silly woman? But suppose she doesn't take to me? His wife looked up into his strong, kind face, with the wrinkles of humour around his eyes and the lines of sympathy about the mouth. Ah, was all she vouchsafed in reply. The cars were crowded with Christmas shoppers, most of them chattering, laughing gay, a few harassed, bored and tired-looking. Mrs. Alaric had eyes only for the solemn faces of the children, wide-eyed with the expectancy of beholding at last that elusive old rogue, who with long whiskers and fat sack was said to be tarrying in the toy department's of no less than five shops at one and the same time. Her husband had eyes only for the pretty flush of excitement in her cheeks and the happiness of the look in her eyes as she watched the children, which was not like that other look of sadness that had always stabbed him. The orphanage, whose austere steps they were presently ascending, had donned its holiday attire, consisting of some perennial battered artificial holly wreaths and some fresh relays of evergreens. In the reception room, with its horsehair chairs ranged against the dark brown wallpaper, was further evidence of the season in a fir tree bound round and round with twine like a mummy, destined to be trimmed with strings of tinsel, illumined with eight candles and inspected daily, at a decorous distance, by a marching line of children, entirely overwhelmed by its magnificence. When the Alarics entered the reception room, they found Miss Phipps, the head of the institution, at her imposing desk in conversation with a well-dressed elderly woman with a pleasant face and a quiet voice. A sickening fear surged over Mary Alaric. Suppose this woman were a relative of the child that was to be theirs. Suppose she had some claim on her. Suppose... Her voice was unsteady as she introduced her husband to Miss Phipps. And Mrs Hipple? Mr and Mrs Alaric. Miss Phipps' voice was hard and judicial like the woman. I've just been telling Mrs. Hipple that I was quite positive you were decided upon, Sylvia, Mrs. Alaric. Mrs. Hipple also wishes to adopt the child, but of course, you have prior claim. Yes, oh, yes, yes. Mrs. Alaric sat down on one of the chairs in acute relief. I'm so sorry, but we must have Sylvia. My wife's heart is set on the little girl, said Alaric with finality. Mrs. Hipple rose. So was mine, the moment I saw her. But I am glad to know she is going into your home if I cannot have her in mine. You are very fortunate. She is a lovely child. I shall send for her at once, promised Miss Phipps as she left the room to conduct Mrs. Hipple to the door. The Alarics sat in silence, a silence that was like a sort of sacrament to both of them, waiting suspensively. Oh, Jim... I do hope you'll... began Mrs. Alaric, finally, for the hundredth and eighth time. The return of Miss Phipps cut short the phrase. The child was not with her, but following heavily at her rubber heels was a stolid policeman considerably hampered in his stride by a little boy with a withered foot who clamped along beside him, clutching his trousers with a terrified grasp. If you'll excuse me for just a moment... Miss Phipps had seated herself at the desk and was turning the leaves of a big ledger. While I recall the entry of this new inmate. Name, officer? Rico Corsi. Age? I don't know. About six, should say. Parents? Father used to fiddle down the high street. Died yesterday. Starvation, I believe. 
Even sold his fiddle a while ago, the neighbours say, to feed the kid. These papers were in the room. Miss Phipps examined the papers closely, while the officer fingered his helmet impatiently. The boy, meanwhile, did not once raise his uncombed dark head, but stood with his little chin buried in his ragged coat, never relaxing his grip of the coat of law and order. This appears to be a marriage certificate, announced Miss Phipps shortly. The mother is dead, you say? That will be all at present, officer. We will institute further investigations later. Take Rico out to Miss Daly, please. You will find her at the end of the hall. For a moment, the child raised his head, vaguely apprehensive, and his big eyes sought the strange faces about him. In them was dazed misery and yearning, and proudly unshed tears. In another moment, beside the constable, he was dragging the withered foot in its clumsy cage across the room, and into the hall, and out of sight. Scarcely had the two crossed the threshold when a little girl skipped eagerly into the room. Sylvia, admonished Miss Phipps severely. Quieter, please. Mrs. Alaric had grasped the child's two hands as she stood breathless in the middle of the room, with her yellow head tilted questioningly to one side, like a little bird, and drawn her close. Oh, Jim, isn't she lovely? she whispered. Alaric smiled down at her with his slow, gentle smile. How do you do, Sylvia? was all he said. But Sylvia climbed onto his lap without more ado and busied herself at once with his scarf pin. I presume you wish to take Sylvia today? Miss Phipps' tone was briskly businesslike. Mrs. Alaric bent over the child in her husband's arms with passionate tenderness. Oh, yes, Miss Phipps. I want her so much I... Clampity-clamp. 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 It was the clatter of the brace on the little lame boy's leg as he ascended the stairs in the hall. Mrs. Alaric's hand fell away from the curly head. I... that is... but if tomorrow would do as well. We would prefer to take her tomorrow. Of course, if it makes the least difference to you. No, tomorrow will do quite as well. And the Alarics went home again, alone. They spent the evening unwrapping the gifts that had come during the day and reading snatches of the Kipling, avoiding carefully any occasion to go into the library where a little Christmas tree stood unlighted in the dark. Oh, why had it happened so? Why had it all been spoiled? Why hadn't they been a little earlier or a little later? Over and over, Mary Alaric asked herself these things during a sleepless night. Why had she not brought Sylvia home? Because of the look in that other child's eyes? because of the pitiful clatter of his dragging foot as he went up the stairs to the orphanage nursery. But that was absurd. What could she do for him? They couldn't adopt him. They couldn't. Of course her heart ached for the poor little fellow, but it was out of the question. She had always been unusually sensitive to deformities of any kind, and to have a lame child about one all the time. To care for him, to dress him. Oh, she couldn't do it. Besides... It wouldn't be fair to Jim, even if he should agree to it. Jim was as in much in love with Sylvia as she. No, on Jim's account, it would never do. Why, he had pictured how she would skip down the pathway to meet him at night and how he would carry her in on his shoulder. The other could never skip. He could never skip or run or climb. But she couldn't give up Sylvia, who looked as her own might have, if no... Of course, Mrs. Himple stood ready to take her, and she looked like a kind woman. 
The child would have a better home, perhaps. But she couldn't have more love. She couldn't. Oh, she was so pretty and sweet and dainty. No, she could never give her up. The little dresses were ready for her. The tea table, the dolls. Very quietly, Mary Alaric got up out of bed, slipped on her dressing gown, and stole into the next room, the child's room. She sat down in the big chair before the fireplace, where, but for her foolishness, she might have held that very night Sylvia's small, warm body in her arms until her head dropped drowsy against her breast. The dark, tousled head of the little boy would that very night rest against a tender breast? Not Miss Phipps, surely, not the ponderous nurses. Who would comfort the child and drive the old, old look of sorrow out of his eyes? Oh, those eyes! Those eyes! If only she hadn't seen them! Poor baby! Perhaps his father had loved him dearly. He'd sold his fiddle to buy him food, they said. But no, it couldn't be, that's all. Her eyes reached the little bed, still smooth as a snowdrift. The red rug, which she had thought would be so warm for the bounding, skipping feet. Those other feet. How easily they would be chilled. And who would warm them? Perhaps someone would be rough, or cruel, or impatient, or unkind. What a pitiful pathway those little feet must travel through life, all alone, and bruised already. She wondered if they'd put enough blankets over him there at the orphanage, and tucked them in well at the bottom. She wondered if anybody had kissed him good night. She wondered if he had cried himself to sleep. Oh, why hadn't she brought him home with her, and cuddled him and comforted him, and warmed the little feet in her bosom if need be, and tucked him into the little bed, snug and tight? Poor, poor little lamb. Mary Alaric flung herself down on the red velvet rug beside the bed and laid her face on the cool pillow. Thank God she wanted the little lame boy. Her husband found her there towards morning and gathered her up in his arms. Oh, Jim, she murmured, would you mind very, very much if we took the little lame boy instead of Sylvia? I knew your heart of gold would win, Mary replied her husband. I didn't want to influence you, dear, but I wanted the lame boy too. The Christmas dawn was creeping into the room. The canary in the cage fluffed out his feathers pompously and chirped a cheery greeting. See, it's daylight, Jim. Christmas Day. If we hurry, we can get to the orphanage before breakfast. The applause was like the roar of a waterfall. From stalls to gallery, it swept in a deafening crescendo that did not abate until the virtuoso, violin under his arm, appeared on the platform for the sixth time. World famous, his native city heard him for the first time and recognised a master. For the sixth time, he swept the house gratefully with his deep-set dark eyes, making a last bow as he had each time before, to the grey-haired couple who occupied the box at the right. As he took a few steps across the platform and back behind the curtains, one noticed that he limped. The End I do hope you enjoyed this compassionate and moving Christmas story. 
Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family. I hope you enjoy a lovely week and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.